Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. You're listening to The Cultured Bumpkin, a literature podcast with Jake Phillips, where we present audiobook quality readings of the classics for your enjoyment. Thank you for stopping by. And remember, just because you're a bumpkin doesn't mean you can't be cultured. Okay, we are live. Welcome to The Cultured Bumpkin. And today we have uh, Melanie. Mel, what do you go by? Either one. Okay. Well, my phone's ringing. Uh, good deal. Well, um, so I found uh, Melanie on uh, TikTok, and I don't remember what it was, but I remember you had you did a reading, I think, of maybe a Shakespeare monologue, and then had just like this really good analysis that was easy to understand. Great. Thank I, you. <laughs> so I am, um, you know, I just I really I really like that, and um, wanted to talk talk about it some more absolutely i'd love to <laughs> so first if i can keep my phone from dinging i'm just gonna <laughs> ask you this can you tell us um like uh you know tell us a little about yourself and how you got into how did you develop a love of literature all right so uh i am a high school teacher i teach 11th grade um uh academic honors and ap I've been doing that for about 13 years now. Um, and uh, I wish this was hyperbole, but I think I fell in love with books because my mom would like lock me in my room. Um, we'd come home from church on Sunday and she was like, take a nap. And then she knew I wouldn't take a nap. And so she, she was like, I don't care, just don't leave the room. And it would just be me and my books. Um, and so I just absolutely started devouring things. I remember, I think the first real memory is elementary school and I was taking home all the little house on the prairie books. Like nice. every single Friday I would take home one and I would read it over the weekend and bring it back. Um, and so that was really where it began. And um, yeah, children's literature certainly had a big impact on me. Um, but I discovered Shakespeare. Um, I think I was taught Romeo and Juliet in high school the way a lot of kids are. Um, with very broad strokes that don't really get to the heart of what makes it a great play. Um, and then it wasn't really until college where I started to really fall in love with the language. Um, and that really helped with the moment I just watched a production with the subtitles on. It was like a click and it just started to make so much more sense. Um, and I realized what a role the acting had in in terms of it, right? That it can't just be read, it has to be seen. Uh, and so that was just the beginning of an absolute obsession of mine with, uh, with Shakespeare. And um, at first I wanted to major, I wanted to go to graduate school to be a writer, uh, but then I started substitute teaching just kind of, you know, for the money, which is not really a great way to get money, but, um, and I just, I just fell in love with the kids and here we are. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Okay, so so the um, the other day I was talking with a friend of mine. We were actually out to eat, and um, 
you know, he's kind of a creative muse, you might say. So we just hang out from time to time and talk about Shakespeare and poetry and just a nice time. So we're talking and this lady overhears us talking about Shakespeare. And she's like, I've always like, why would why would anybody do that? Why would I? And it wasn't in a mean way, but she was like, you know, how are two people in the 21st century, like like grown men talking about this? What is what is it about Shakespeare that I would need? Like, why would I want to do that? And I it made me think I wanted to ask you that. What would you say to someone as far as here's why you should explore Shakespeare? So the thing I think that is the most important thing about literature is empathy, right? It fosters empathy. And when you spend a lot of time watching um, that either develop with young people or not develop, um, you realize that it is a, it's a big part of having an imagination. It's a big part of drawing connections. Um, it's a big part of being curious. And uh, Shakespeare has a way of sort of depicting every possible emotion that you could have as a human being. And there are many, many great writers who have captured certain uh, emotional circumstances. Definitely many great writers that have shown us what it feels like to be this or that. Um, I don't really feel like there's any author on the same level with Shakespeare in terms of what it means to be alive, what it means to be human. Um, and there are just moments where I'm with my students and like we're reading Othello and we are reading about the poor love struck Bianca who's chasing after Cassio. And one of my students, you know, I go, I go, I've been this girl. Have any of us been this girl? And, and, you know, one girl in the class was like, Miss Murray, I am this girl, you know, and like, and we just all, you know, and so when you see that, that's the real key, you know, it's that it's being able to imagine what it would be like to be someone else. Uh, it's about recognizing something universal and timeless uh, that people back then are the same as they are now. Um, and that Shakespeare has a way of conveying that in a way that I think a lot of other authors are a little bit more trapped by their time period. You know, so even for instance, when you read Jane Eyre, there's a, there's a way of uh, language that Charlotte Bronte has that's very analytical. It's very sort of detached you know, she sort of reports what's happening in a very, very um, lofty way. And Shakespeare is tricky to understand, too. Um, but when you see it, it's just timeless and it will always be so real, you know. And so I think if you can get over the language difficulty, which is a real thing, which is definitely a valid stumbling block and I think drives a lot of people away from it, um, then you just get to this treasure trove of just, you know, every possible flavor you know, that you could ever look for in terms of what it means to have a beating heart and, and to be a living human being. That's awesome. I like that. I like that answer. Uh, <laughs> I, I said something to her similar, but it didn't sound nearly that good. But, <laughs> but, I'm sure it did. But, you, know, you, have, you have a great way of communicating yourself. <laughs> yeah. Something to the effect of like, um, Somewhere in Shakespeare's plays, somebody's going through what you're going through. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a simpler way of what I said, which is much better. That's much more concise. Um, yeah, that's exactly what it is, you know. And and it's not about how realistic the scenarios are. It's not about 
you know, the judgment calls of these characters. It's just about going along for the ride and feeling something, even if that's going to be frustration and discomfort and anger, uh, because those are all really important emotions too. And if you, if you can discover those in literature, then you can discover them when you're reading something about history or when you're reading the news and you're experiencing the plight of someone else, you know, and that is an important part of being human, you know, being able to connect. Right. Um, and so that's enormous. You know, the, um, what is your favorite play? Like if you're stuck on a desert Island and there's one play at the amphitheater, what'll it be? Oh man. I, I, I feel like it's, it's easy and cheap. Romeo and Juliet is, is one of my favorites, maybe my favorite because it is a tragic comedy. And so, um, you know, I love King Lear, but King Lear can be very heavy. I love Hamlet, but Hamlet can be very heavy. Um, I feel like with Romeo and Juliet, you get this wonderful mix of both. Um, the first half can be very hilarious. Uh, and the second half can really actually be quite funny too. You know, the scene where the friar is like, keeps saying the word banished and Romeo's like, stop, stop saying the word, stop saying it. You know, he's like, why don't you read a book if you're upset? Here's some books, you know, like it's funny. Um, so that's a big one. I love Othello just cause it's so sad. Um, I love Henry V too. Sorry, I know that it's not no, much no, of no, no. Island list. That's, that's, but if I had a top five, Okay, um, okay. I do love the tragedies. Much Ado About Nothing is probably my favorite comedy. Okay. Uh, by far. Yeah. Okay. Nice. <laughs> Good deal. Yeah. You almost have to narrow it down to what's your favorite, like comedy, mm -hmm. tragedy, whatever. Yeah. A little That's, bit. Um, yeah. I think for me, Henry, the, in a way, Henry V was one of my first times that I felt like, oh, I, I kind of know what that's like because I was, I was sort of, um introduced to it in the army so i was an army officer and it, it, obviously he's the king there's it was a bigger scale on his part but that that sort of idea of you know these these guys are you know napping here and i'm i'm not gonna get any sleep tonight i gotta i gotta deal with problems mm -hmm. um that kind of thing and that made me want to explore some of his other stuff yeah yeah and and, uh, and his work with with characters who are soldiers is really I mean, that's why Much Ado About Nothing is so great because you have the, these guys have just finished fighting a war, right? Now they're done. What happens when they come back home and they're, you know, they're fresh off the battlefield and they have these, you know, issues to deal with or in Othello, what happens when soldiers betray each other? You know, Shakespeare has this beautiful way of portraying soldiers, uh, which is uncanny considering that he was just a, you know, glove maker's son from the country and right. he wasn't ever he didn't serve himself you know but he obviously talked to people and got wonderful inspiration because he just portrays that bond um, right. and what happens when that bond is broken too you know which is what makes it so sad <laughs> right you know? the yeah. um his character is so real like in let's say um you can watch a movie or something and you'll see someone in a in a field that maybe you know a lot about and you think, Oh, this is, this is hard to watch. This is so awful. That is not, that's not how it is in, in Shakespeare. It's just not like that. Mm -hmm. You know, in my case, like with soldiers, his, the things the soldiers say, and I know that the words are different maybe, but that attitude being there, like the, the King said to all these commoners, this day shall gentle his condition. And there's something about going through, um, hardship with a group of anybody 
that just it it makes you it bonds you together in a way that that few things do yeah um, any kind of life-threatening situation you could be a you know first responder or you know working on an oil rig but i mean if you go through a um, life-threatening situation with somebody it's like you you, you don't care as much about where they came from after mm -hmm. that. and i mm -hmm. love that and that's why you know i i'm a big sucker for um band of brothers uh for, on hbo and of course mm -hmm. obviously band of brothers is taken right from henry v which is absolutely the perfect way to describe it you know yeah. and you have these stories of these soldiers that are still signing off their letters your forever soldier you know 50 years later and they're mm -hmm. they're just so so bonded even if they don't see each other for like 20 years they are still so tight you know and um and that's why i love teaching othello i think because for shakespeare to show what happens when that bond is broken and when someone violates that bond and there's betrayal in my opinion it's the saddest one it's sadder than romeo and juliet you know mm -hmm. it's just like no you guys are supposed to be there for each other why are you doing this you know and like and um it, yeah it's just great and um i think yeah like you said he has this uh genius of emotion you know it's like if you compare him to other geniuses in different fields he has this way of just putting the human soul on paper um and seeming to understand us you know and understand what it's like to be alive no matter what kind of you know he under he writes these women that are the no man should be writing women this good it doesn't right. make sense you know for him to be writing such full dynamic characters and somehow he does you know so my money is that he was somehow like a photographic memory and that he just talked to everyone he could and he just had amazing insight into what it must feel like you know and this enormous uh empathy you know that he just had for the human condition yeah so if somebody was they've never read a shakespeare play they don't really know Shakespeare, but they, you know, let's say they hear you on this podcast and they're like, you know what? I don't know if that makes sense. I kind of want to uh, maybe explore a little bit. How would you recommend they go about exploring Shakespeare? So um, that's a good one. Um, I mean, part of me is tempted to say, just start with one of his shorter ones like Macbeth, you know, that one's significantly smaller than his other works, but still, um, I, I don't think there's any shame in using something like No Fear Shakespeare, um, because it does take a lot of practice to get used to the syntax, to get used to the, the vocabulary and the word choice. Um, and you know, it's something that has to be studied before it can really be enjoyed. You know, you sort of have to earn your way to a place where you can get comfortable enough with it to watch it and for it to start to actually feel like second nature uh and and for it to feel like english the way modern english does um but i would say you know commit to maybe the sonnets first you know the poetry is really nice because a sonnet has a pretty basic structure where the beginning part is sort of like contrary you know my mistress eyes are nothing like the sun she's not beautiful she doesn't have nice skin her hair's not that great but i love her more than anyone else right or sonnet 29 right sometimes i think about my life and it really really sucks and i wish that i had that guy's life and that guy's life but you know and so once you start to get um 
patterns into how the structure works, I feel like that can be a little foot in the door. Uh, but honestly, for me, it was a big magical moment. I was watching the 1996 Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio. And it was the morning after the party when Romeo is trying to trick his, you know, lie and say that he was getting it on with Rosaline the night before so that he won't have to admit he's actually in love. And when he says, why is my pump well flowered? He grabs his crotch. And so he acts that out for us, you know, and an actor is supposed to be kind of like a teacher. They should be a strong enough actor to help us understand what's being said. And so that's a huge part of it. You know, not just trying to sit down and read it because that's not really how it's supposed to go, right? Maybe having the book in front of you and just watching it and watching really carefully what they do. And if you can keep up with how they seem to feel, um, then if it's every eighth word, that's a start, you know, where you're like, oh, okay. I understand, let me go with him. That makes sense, right? I understand you are a Senator, you know, and just starting to let yourself have those moments where you're like, yeah, that makes sense to me. I understand that. I may not have understood that whole big speech before that, but I re remember the last line and I know that makes sense. And so it just takes a little patience. It does take some practice. It's certainly, you know, sometimes I have a student that's like, Miss Murray, I don't get, I don't get what the big deal is. This is easy, but that doesn't really happen very often. Um, you know, you really have to just look for the gems. And so every now and then you just look for the things where you're like, Hey, that, that's like what I would say. That's like what a person today would say. Okay. You know, and you let yourself have that. And even if you don't understand every single word, you can just let it wash over you, you know? Okay. And so it's really about the feeling. I think if you can just keep up with the emotion, you don't have to even really understand all the words um, because you are, you're still where you're supposed to be. You're, you're where Shakespeare wants you to be emotionally with it. Okay, that makes sense. So in that case, with regard to like watching a production, what are some of like your maybe favorite productions that someone could probably find on um, you know streaming or something that they yeah that's to? great because you know before the pandemic there it was really hard to find stage performances of shakespeare the globe makes them very expensive or they don't make them available at all uh and then during the pandemic suddenly all of this broadway and all this theater started becoming much more available so broadway hd and marquee tv on amazon i can't believe i'm plugging channels on amazon but i am those are great places to find some plays um there is a very great 2007 othello that's wonderful um where it's clear and you know when i gave my students that and gave them a choice between that one and like the movie version with Lawrence Fishburne in it a lot of times they actually preferred the stage hmm. um, because they felt like the acting was better, you know? And I was like, well, it is, you know, they're doing much, much, much harder work, you know, on the stage than they are. Um, but yeah, I would just, you know, I would, I would say to, a, this is going to sound weird, but I would say to maybe avoid comedies because the comedies tend to be a little faster and the language is much more clever and, and the jokes are trickier than, than the serious stuff. You know, there's a lot more plot exposition in something like Richard III than there is in Much Ado, where they're like, hey, witty thing, hey, witty thing, witty, 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 and and nobody understands what the hell they're talking about because we we weren't alive in 1601. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think the comedies are certainly more of a challenge, which is usually why the, the tragedies are taught more in high school. 
Okay. You know, the kids are going to get Lear and Hamlet and Julius Caesar and Romeo and Juliet and stuff like that. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Okay. So um, this is more random. King Lear. Mm. If you, uh, as far as different characters, I, I haven't watched, you know, every production ever made or anything, but what I enjoy doing, you know, for like an acting um, challenge or something is say, okay, I'm going to find this monologue and then just go look and see how different people have done it. Yeah. And just, and a lot of times they're totally different, even if they're all brilliant, it's not like mm -hmm. one's bad. It's just, oh, that's a whole different take on it. Yeah. Um, but um, King Lear, you know, have you seen the Anthony Hopkins? <laughs> yeah. So, Makes me cry my eyes yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. What did you, uh, who's your favorite Lear, I guess? Oh, God. All right. Um, so on YouTube, you can watch the, oh, I want to say it's like 1976 public theater King Lear with James Earl Jones. Okay. Um, and freaking Raul Julia as Edmund. And he is so great. Um, Paul Sorvino is Gloucester. Um, so James Earl Jones really is kind of sort of known for his Lear, uh, because that particular performance, as far as I know, in the theater world is considered sort of the top. Um, but I got to go with Hopkins. I mean, I know that the, I know that that Amazon prime version is very trimmed down. It's a really, really cut version of the play, but he's my favorite Shakespearean hands down. Ian McKellen, don't get me wrong, Patrick Stewart, they're great, but I just have a real soft spot for him ever since I saw Julie Taymor's Titus with him playing Andronicus. Okay. Um, I, I got it. Yeah. Hopkins just kills me. He just breaks my heart. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So he's my favorite Lear, I think. That's good. That's good. I think that, that uh, he's mine, but I couldn't tell you why. I just, I like that. <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, something about him. That's yeah. just, you know, McKellen, I think, you know, does a very great job um, in his, but that one is also just a lot longer. And so maybe that's something about it. There's a stamina that's required in a certain production. Yeah. That's maybe not as required in another. Um, but yeah, I've just, oh, Hopkins can do no wrong in my mind. He's, okay. he's definitely top, top for me. Yeah. I've, I think, um, especially like the, the scene where, you know, they basically bring Cordelia up and she's dead and the way that he reacts to it, it is, is more like a madman's reaction. Yes. There's not like this. Like, oh, I would grieve like that because I'm normal and so is he. It's like, oh, that's a little, uh, yeah. he's yeah. nuts. Like yeah. he, that was one of the times where if you weren't convinced he's dark, raven, mad, now we are. Absolutely. <laughs> totally. And he and he brings that same energy in Titus, you know, because he's doing this, this charade of insanity in that. Or is it a charade? You know, you're not entirely sure if it's. Um, yeah, and there's just something about, you know, and it's it seems weird to even compare these two because like even Judy Dench, lays prostrate in front of Ian McKellen. You know, even she is like, he's above me. And I'm like, I'm not sure that he is Judy, you know, right. like, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're both great, for, like you said, for their own reasons, you know, and, and then when you think about things like Hamlet, right, when Benedict Cumberbatch's To Be or Not To Be is a minute and a half shorter than Andrew Scott's, it's really? the same speech, right? But, but one of them 
drags it out really draws mm. it out and uses the time and the other one doesn't and it's just you know a directorial choice or a creative choice whatever it is you know that's interesting yeah i love andrew scott's version with that regional i guess irish some kind of irish accent mm. and uh, i always think regional accents sort of make it you it almost makes you hear it again for the first time yeah. um just with the different you know lilting of the language and whatnot i like exactly I really like where do you know where there's um i've seen clips of andrew scott but i've never seen a whole is there a production of it anywhere that you know of i have looked for it i don't think i, I want to say that it was aired on bbc so but i believe that i've done a search and i have ended up with a brick wall yeah i think okay. you can only see clips of it which is really a shame um because yeah he does this he does that twitchy you know i haven't slept in a couple of days i need to shower kind of hamlet you know where you're like all right dude ca calm down you know like he's he's the little <laughs> you know so it's great <laughs> um but yeah the um the um oh i always mispronounce his last name but uh papa Asiedu in a royal shakespeare version um that one is on marquee tv and that one has a very like black panther feel to it there's a lot of basquiat-esque graffiti um it's an all african production it's very cool okay and um papa Seju is just an absolutely insane hamlet he has tears running down his face almost the entire play i don't even know how he manages to stay hydrated like he's just crying the whole way through it's absolutely crazy um wow. and like you said you know very different but um very special in its own way that's really cool i've seen a couple of uh i think a like youtube clips of that one but i've never i've never seen it at yeah LinkedIn. yeah like, that full production is available if anyone wants to find it okay okay i need to check that out the um benedict cumberbatch said the thing that's cool about theater is that it only lives in your imagination <laughs> and then that and that's that's cool i guess so it, maybe it maybe it's by design we're only getting clips here and there that's uh there's only a few people that truly got to experience that moment or whatever yeah exactly and it sucks for the rest of us but i guess i guess he's got a point you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i know right like well, the rest of us are kind of left out but that's know. you know yeah. so what about other classic literature not necessarily shakespeare what other things do you like or you would point people toward so um okay so i did just finish reading uh jane eyre recently and of course oh, i nice. just I just like, I'm such a sap. I cry all the time. Like everything makes me cry. Um, but there's just, it's such a beautiful depiction of, of like a real, real love, you know, as opposed to a lot of the kind of Gothic ideas at the time, even Wuthering Heights, you know, doesn't quite, I don't know, doesn't quite get to that place of depth for me. Um, so I love Jane Eyre. That's always one of my favorite love stories. Um, but I actually, um, I actually have been obsessed with a series lately that is not very high literature, um, but it's the Matthew Corbett detective series by Robert McCammon, um, and he's like a he's like a detective in 1703, but he's not really a detective because that word hasn't been invented yet. Um, and the very very last one is about to come out, and I'm really sad because. There's 10 of them. And I normally don't do series like this. Like, like it's super cheesy. It's not, it's not great, super 
you know, right. but like there's all this scary stuff going on on the front. I'm so excited. <laughs> so that's that's like my brain break when I um when I need to stop. But yes, I I am a big Vonnegut fan. I love right. Kurt Vonnegut. Um, I think I I was given God bless you, Mr. Rosewater in college. And that really turned me on to him. And then I read Galapagos and I was like completely obsessed. Um, he's so funny. And um, I even brought his book one night backstage when we were doing As You Like It because I was Audrey and Audrey has a lot of time off stage, and I couldn't even read it backstage because I was laughing too hard. I was like disrupting everyone. I mean, um, so I love I love Vonnegut. He's the he's perfect satire. Um, and um, another American author I love is Raymond Carver. Okay. Um, he is a wonderful, was a wonderful short story author. Um, and he was very minimalist and he sort of took um, the style sort of created by Hemingway with this journalistic minimal um, and just kind of ran with it and sort of, I think, improved upon it, honestly, a little bit. Um, also a raving alcoholic like Hemingway, of course. Okay. Um, but there seems to be something about American short story authors. Um, but yeah, those, those guys were all, uh, introduced to me in college and, um, and I really, really fell in love with just short fiction. I feel like it's a, it's an overlooked genre and it doesn't get yes. as much credit as it, as it deserves. That's, I think I a hundred percent agree. And the, I think the reason that I got into short fiction is because, um, you know, like, I don't know if I want to read you know tom sawyer huckleberry finn but i'll read buying gloves in gibraltar which is like you know two minutes long and hilarious yeah um you know by mark twain or whatever and uh, i i love short stories for that reason but then you know it's like you can take a thought from beginning to end and sort of be a better person for it without having to spend a week or two weeks which is great in its own but sometimes mm -hmm. it's nice to just go you know, start to finish, we're done with it. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's really nice when a collection is sort of cohesive, you know, like um, In Our Time by Hemingway feels very much like it's largely all about the same character. And so he sort of bent the genre a little by by being like, I don't know, is this a novel? Is this not a novel? Is this just a collection? You know, and um, and it was really lovely to be able to examine it as a whole but also still understand that it wasn't a novel and you're not applying that same kind of thought to it. Um, and that one just has absolutely beautiful, um, beautiful, sad Hemingway stories in it, of course. Right. Um, but yeah, definitely. I think I took, you know, my creative writing classes in college were very largely geared towards poetry and short fiction. And we were of course assigned to write short fiction, uh, not to start trying to write novels, you know. Um, and we actually weren't allowed to write things with detectives in them or anything with science fiction or fantasy. Like we had to write literary short fiction about like ordinary people with ordinary problems. And that was really, really hard for a lot of my classmates. Um, you know, like we would have our, our circle and some guy would bring in a story that was like, Detective Jack Bronson had had a long week. And we're like, no, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like that's not going to work here. You know, that's great. But that's that's not like literary, and it feels so snobby now looking back on it. But it, I think it's an important distinction. That's know? interesting. Have you ever heard of um, Ricky Gervais talk about that? What you just said, 
I don't think I've heard him talk about it. No, so I really like him as just a comedian. I think he's yeah. hilarious, a great writer yeah. in, on screen. And he mentioned in school, he was always trying to write like these these big exciting things, uh, detectives and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he would always, you know, the teacher would always just tear him up. You know, put all this red on there. And the teacher said, "You you have to write what you know. To stop stop pretending. Just tell me a story about your life." That's a really and good so point. He, he got mad. He was like, "I'll I'll show this guy," and he started writing. And he wrote. Um, he and his mom used to go to the elderly neighbors across the street and take her, like, just make sure the temperature is fine and she had her water and just take care of her. Just be mm -hmm. good people. And um, so he was like. We walked up to the to the door. Um, we we rattled the keys in the lock. You know, it, we walked in. It smelled of lavender and weird old lady smells. She was sitting in her chair and smiled at us or something. And then he was like, I, "He's gonna hate this." And he turned it in. You know, and the next day the guy came back and it was like a hundred and and he had like a lump in his throat. The teacher who had been just tearing yeah. him up and he tried to speak and he was just like, "That's good," and walked. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much exactly what happens to Joe March and Little Women, right? She's writing these stories about dark, dastardly deeds and men in dark capes. And, you know, and when Friedrich Baer tells her, you know, you must write from life, you must write from the depths of your soul. She gets so mad at him, you know, and they have this little breakup. Right. And then she writes and then she goes home and she writes Little Women and she writes the story of her family and her own life. And it's beautiful and it sells for five whole dollars. You right. know? And it, it's, a, it's a huge deal, you know? Um, yeah. I do tend to love, I do tend to love stories about women. You know, um, I love women authors. I love Eudora Welty. Um, Edith Wharton breaks my heart. I feel like it, it, she, the house of mirth is, uh, is on Shakespeare level in terms of, of absolute tragedies. I mean, it's just so sad. <laughs> Uh, and it's such a, um, you know, such an, um, an indictment of high society and, uh, you know, the things that control what women can do and what women can be. Um, and that was another one, you know, I thank God for my college professors who, who chose good curriculum for us. I mean, geez, I'm really glad. <laughs> that's the, um, I'm from a part of Mississippi that's Eudora Welty is very big because she's from Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've never... I've recently bought my first book by her, but I've never read her. So mm. tell, tell me what I need to like guide me. What do I need to do? Okay. I'm going to have to look back on and see exactly what it was. That was the first thing I read by her. Um, okay. This is going back a little, I shouldn't have even said Eudora because that is going back a, a long time ago. It was a short story. If I can find the collection, I'll definitely give you the title. Um, let me think. Uh, okay. It was, uh, sorry. Um, oh, another one to, to fill up the time would be Flannery O'Connor. She's another great Southern okay, uh, right, writer. Right. Um, I have to say, I think it was the Golden Apples. That collection was great. I, I would start with her short fiction. But she also has books about writing, which is really kind of cool, too. Okay. Um, she's got uh, a book called On Writing. Um, she's got, there's a, there was a story and essays collection that they put out posthumously. Um, 
and yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, 13 Stories is a great one. I don't even know where to start. Honestly, there are so many. Um, but yeah, The Golden Apples was my first introduction to her with that collection. Okay. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I would honestly just start with the beginning um, and go all the way back to the beginning. So A Curtain of Green from 1941 is, is a pretty good place to start. <laughs> okay. And then you can just go down the rabbit hole because she's got so many... You know, she's very, very prolific. Right. Okay. Um, but yeah. yeah. Good deal. Good yeah. deal. Now it, you mentioned uh, women writers. What are some, uh, you know, uh, what are some other ones that you enjoy that you might share with the uh, f folks that maybe have not heard of, uh, including myself, that may not have even heard of them or maybe haven't read them? Well, um, I mean, Toni Morrison is immensely important. Um and it's funny because sometimes I don't, I don't often use the word important. Like I think Shakespeare is important. I think Toni Morrison is really important. Um, you know, it's, it's great that books like Beloved are on high school curriculum. It's wonderful that that book is still very alive and still very uh, potent, but the, uh, the bluest eye, her very first novel. Um, I honestly feel like every, every human being alive should have to read it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just crushing. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, and it really makes you think about um, beauty standards of, you know, white beauty standards um, and how that affects black girls and black women as they grow up. Um, it really will open your eyes um, to the experience of someone else. Uh, and it really, really hit, hit hard. Um, that one was big. Um, there's another new author her name is Attica Locke, and she wrote a series um, that starts, uh, one of the books is Heaven My Home. It takes place in Texas, and it's about a black ranger, um, and it takes place like in 2016, right at the beginning of the Trump years, and it's a very, very cool um, study in race in a more modern context. Um, Alice Walker, The Color Purple, is really important. Um, Zora Lee Hurston. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure a lot of kids still read Their Eyes Are Watching God uh, in school, but I cannot recommend that one enough. That's important. Um, I just think there's something really important about reading Black women's literature. Um, and like we said, with that empathy and with that imagination. Um, and for a lot of white readers, especially, I think it's really important um, to walk in the, in the shoes of these women and these characters uh, and see through their eyes. Um, and the last one I'll recommend is Jamaica Kincaid. She does not get enough credit. Um, she's got really beautiful short stories as well. Um, there's one in particular called Girl. Uh, that one I will never forget. I read that in college and I have it practically memorized. I can't get it out of my head. Um, so yeah, Jamaica Kincaid. She's fantastic. Okay. Good deal. <laughs> good deal. Thank you. Great. No problem. Uh, let's see. This has been great. I've I've really enjoyed the. I, Thank I you. I have too. All over the the place, but I, I have. I could spend hours asking you. Oh, what do you think about this? What do you think? About <laughs> yeah. <this?" laughs> I, I could spend I, hours trying to come up with things off the top of my head because it it helps me remember that I do remember some stuff after all. Actually. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but I was wondering if you could do. Um, and and I don't want to put you on the spot. So. But if you could do like a monologue, maybe walk us through it and then okay. either quote it or read it, if if you're able, like if you have the setup for it or 
you know, don't mind doing that. Um, okay. You know what? I feel like since you were asking about Shakespeare and how, how we can make Shakespeare accessible and how we can access Shakespeare, I would really love to um, do the prologue from Romeo and Juliet, if you don't mind. Yes, that would be wonderful. Um, because, you know, I feel like with a play like this, there, he gives us this little gift in the beginning. He tells us exactly what's going to happen. He tells us what the plot is, why it's going to happen. Um, and I feel like you know, Romeo and Juliet has sort of been like a time, well, kind of like the opposite of a time capsule. It's, its meaning and its relationship to modern audiences seems to change depending on what those audiences need, you know? And so if like, I noticed post Me Too, uh, people needed to make Romeo a bad guy. They right. they needed to make him into some kind of predatory, you know, untrustworthy bad guy um in this weird service of protecting Juliet and I think by extension protecting girls you know and I feel like that was much more a reflection of us than it was of anything that Shakespeare intended but um so one of the things I I think if anyone is listening and is as like I you know how do I get started with Shakespeare um it's important to know sometimes he really does tell us exactly what he's going to do so um, you know, and he doesn't do prologues with a lot of his plays. Um, he just walks into them sometimes and you start right in the middle, you know? Uh, all right. So let me see. I think I do have this one. Okay. okay. Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona, where we lay our scene. From ancient grudge, break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life, whose misadventured piteous overthrows doth with their death bury their parents' strife. The fearful passage of their death-marked love and the continuance of their parents' rage, which but their children's end not could remove, is now the two hours traffic of our stage, the which of you with patient ears attend, what he or she'll miss, our toil shall strive to mend. So when you think about it in terms of theater, it has its own value. When you think about it in terms of plot, it has its own value. Uh, and so he tells us from the beginning that we have two families of equal standing. They're both rich. Um, in this beautiful city, Verona, where we're gonna lay our scene. Um, and they have been fighting forever and they are still fighting now, you know, from ancient grudge, break to new mutiny, um, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. So the people of the city are suffering, the citizens are fed up with this. Um, and this is the most important part, I think, for me, from forth the fatal loins of these two foes. The, even just the idea of fatal loins, is such a paradox, right? The loins are where the child is born from. The idea of birth and death smack together like that. Um, Shakespeare loves opposites and nowhere else do you see this as strongly as in this. You know, it's all about twos, it's all about opposites. Um, it's all about things that shouldn't go together like love and death, um, like children and marriage, you know, things that shouldn't go together. Um, and so, there's even this point, you know, where it says, here's what's going to happen. They're, they're destined to die because it's the only thing that's going to end the hatred between the families. And this is how it's all going to work out. These families will make peace. It's going to be sad. It's going to be about two hours long. <laughs> and we hope we do a good job. You know, if, if you don't quite get it, we're going to try really hard to make sure you get it, you know? And so it's a little cheeky way of 
Shakespeare, the actor, also talking to the audience a little bit, you know. And so that's why I think it's so important that we remember that it is theater, that it is drama. Uh, and so we should read it the way we would read Fences, you know, where we would we would want to see an actor playing this out. We would want to see two people performing this. And it's not really going to do justice just to read it off the page, you know, because it's all like you said, it's about every little moment of emphasis, every little rise in volume, every little gesture, you know, builds on that. So, right. That's awesome. The, um, th when I was, uh, in the army, this was the first play that I ever saw. And I saw it, uh, my platoon sergeant. So I was a, a platoon leader. My platoon sergeant's uh, wife went out of town and they had, uh, season tickets to the theater. And, um, and he was like, Hey, my wife's out of town. You want to go as my, you know, it was my date and i was like okay that. why not <laughs> fantastic so i was actually on a on a date uh you know we're both straight men but we're on a yeah. date together and so i romeo and juliet and uh, that was when i i fell in love one of the moments where i was like oh man this is good yeah and uh yeah it's just it it takes a it it takes a lot from the actor it's just wonderful and if it's done really well you know it's really hard to not do it well honestly, you know, as long as you're committed to it. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I just, I'm not even supposed to say this, but I just got the role of the nurse. The cast list hasn't been released yet, but I got it. And, you know, and I'm just so excited because, you know, like I said, it's, um, it's hard not to bond with the girl who plays Juliet, you know, especially right. when you're a little older, you know, and that's awesome. Um, it's just such an intense play and it has so much in it, you know, and it, you can do it a thousand different ways and it will always be brand new. Um, so yeah, I'm glad, I'm really glad that Romeo and Juliet was, was the unlocking of the door. Right. You know, yeah. It's a really good, it's, it's a really good starting point for everybody. It's the reason why it's the most famous, you know, Hamlet might be the best, you know, but Romeo and Juliet really is the one I think that draws people in the most. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been absolutely wonderful talking thank to you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Sometime. We could, uh, we could, <laughs> I could do a lot of this. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy, I enjoy hearing your, uh, your, your takes on stuff. The, um, where can people find you? Um, cause I will say on TikTok, obviously there's a lot of, I love your um, like your analysis with your monologue. Those are so good. I learn a lot just from watching you. Um, Thank you. So where can people find you, follow your stuff? Um, so yeah, I'm Nurse Ratchet on TikTok. I don't do like a YouTube or a podcast right. or anything like that. Um, TikTok is really my only kind of outlet for just ranting about stuff. Um, um, I'm going to put it on the screen. Is it all, oh, sorry to interrupt you. No, it's oh. okay. It's, it's ratchet with two T's. Okay. Let me see. Is... And let me just make sure that I actually did this because I know that ever since I had to get a new account, I had, um, okay. So my handle is, um, Miss Viola Swamp had a point, but that's kind of long. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, okay, okay. Um, but if they, if they search nurse ratchet, I should come up. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I stole it from Miss Nelson is Missing because that was one of my favorite books when I was a little kid. And I, I was and I was making a lot of my handles based on um, mean fictional female teacher characters from literature and movies. <laughs> so I'd already used Dolores Umbridge and I'd already used Agatha Trunchbull 
Um, so yeah, the long handle is Miss Viola Swamp had a point, which is now that I'm thinking about it, such a pain in the ass of a handle, but really here is. we are. But let me see. Let's see if we can do it. Did we get it? Yeah, very good. That's the <laughs> worst handle. I don't even know what I was thinking. I think I tried to go back in as Nurse Ratchet, and they were like, you can't do that. That's the account we just banned. I was like, that's right. Oh. But yeah, if people search, search Nurse Ratchet, they'll, they should find me. Uh, <laughs> I like Sorry to give the most. There you go. Yeah, that works. Uh, and I actually, I do have a backup account. So it, either way um, would be would be fine. They Good should deal. Find me either way. Awesome. But thank you so much for, uh, you know, promoting my absolutely my thank you I, I love following you and i look forward to much much more in the future yes absolutely thank you so much jake i had a great time you've been listening to the cultured bumpkin a literature podcast with jake phillips thank you very much for listening i really do appreciate it if you enjoyed this would you mind going and subscribing and leaving a nice review on whatever podcast platform platform you heard this on. I would really appreciate it. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.